Hello, and welcome to a special episode of Health Center News, the podcast of the National Association of Community Health Centers. Today's episode features a discussion about the impact of community health centers on rural America. This discussion was recorded on March 30th as part of NAC's 50th anniversary webinar series titled Propelling Our Mission Forward in NAC's 50th Year. Sit back and listen as U.S. Representative Tony Gonzalez, U.S. Representative Peter Welch, Michael Costa of Northern Counties Healthcare in Vermont, and Monica Gonzalez of Community Health Development in Uvalde, Texas, talk about the significant role health centers play in delivering primary care to rural America. Hello, and thank you for joining us today for this webinar on the impact of COVID-19 on health centers in rural America. My name is Joe Dunn, NAC Senior Vice President for Public Policy and Research. I'd like to first express a welcome from NAC's President and CEO, Tom Van Coverden, who wanted to be here today, uh, but couldn't attend. I know that I can speak for Tom when I say that we really appreciate the staff of individual community health centers, PCAs, HCCNs, and the NAC staff for all the sacrifice and hard work during this pandemic. COVID has shined a light on what we have known for a long time. Diseases do not discriminate, and there is health inequity in this country. Americans face significant challenges when it comes to healthcare, and those challenges are magnified by geography and distance for those living in rural and frontier areas. Whether it's a lack of access to medical care, oral health, behavioral health, or not being able to get prescriptions filled, these have long-reaching effects on the health status of people and their communities. Health centers are best positioned to address these needs. We know that in addition to health centers providing quality, comprehensive health care, they also create jobs and are an economic stimulus for their communities. This is especially true for rural and frontier areas, and Congressman Peter Welch and Congressman Tony Gonzalez realize that as well, and we appreciate them participating in this webinar as well as supporting health centers in Congress. Their participation is important also because it shows the breadth and diversity of rural and frontier communities. Rural America is different in each state in the country, and we're gonna hear about two examples of that today. We're going to begin our program today by spotlighting various resources NAC offers for health center's most valuable asset, the Volunteer Board of Directors. As we all know, boards, board members are the lifeline to the communities in need, providing strategic direction, guidance, and input on how health centers can best address the needs of their patients. Today, we have Emily Hurd, NAC's Director of Health Center Training, to share some information. So please take it away, Emily. Hello, I'm Emily Hurd, NAC's Director of Health Center Governance Training. It's a pleasure to be part of today's webinar. Since the founding of the Health Center Movement in the 1960s, our patient-majority community-based boards have been at the heart of the Health Center Movement. We wanted to spend a few minutes today sharing with you various resources to support our health center boards. We hope you are already familiar with the Health Center Resource Clearinghouse, which contains various resources and tools to support health centers. It can be found at www.healthcenterinfo.org. We know that governance has not been easy during the pandemic. Under the COVID-19 resource tab on the left side of the clearinghouse, 
you'll find a special governance spotlight. I'd like to spend some time sharing what you'll find in the section. First, a generous grant from the Pfizer Foundation has enabled the development of resources in three main areas identified as priorities by health center board members, understanding the impact of the pandemic, framing the future, and strengthening the board's own governance processes. Let's take a closer look. To help boards understand the impact of the pandemic, a series of articles have been released on topics such as budgeting considerations and the impact of COVID-19 on key oversight areas, such as quality and risk management. Be on the lookout for videos coming soon that further discuss financial implications. To help boards think about the future, an article is currently available about strategic planning and thinking during this time. Be on the lookout for additional resources related to governance and telehealth. To help boards focus on their own functioning, resources are available about virtual board member orientation and virtual board retreats. Be on the lookout for additional orientation templates and resources on board recruitment. Additionally, given support from the Health Resources and Services Administration, National Training and Technical Assistance Partners Award, additional COVID-focused resources are available on the virtual board meetings and board leadership, as well as a short video that outlines three ways board members can serve as ambassadors for the COVID-19 vaccine. Beyond the pandemic, various more general governance resources are available to support health center boards. Those items can be found on the Health Center Resource Clearinghouse under the main governance spotlight area. One foundational tool is the Governance Guide for Health Center Boards. This comprehensive guide outlines each board role and responsibility in the context of the Health Resources and Services Administration Health Center Program Compliance Manual and includes guidance on good governance practices. Topics include everything from board recruitment to financial and quality oversight to meeting and committee practices. The guide also contains a robust appendix, including 20 tools and resources that can be adapted by health center boards. Additionally, based on requests from boards and CEOs, a suite of short online videos and modules are available that can be used for the board's own orientation and ongoing education. Topics include a five-part series that walks through how to read various types of financial statements. Additionally, two companion online case studies allow board members to put what they learned in the modules into practice. Additional videos focus on strategic planning, the board's role related to needs assessment, and accountable care for boards. Finally, various governance legal briefs, articles, and case studies are also available on the Clearinghouse on topics such as conflicts of interest and CEO compensation. Should you have any questions or suggestions for additional resources, please contact us at trainings at mac.org. Thank you for all each and every one of you do every day in support of health centers and health center boards. Thank you, Emily, for that reminder about resources that NAC has available.
Before we get to the discussion, I think it's important to level set and note how vital health centers are to rural and frontier communities. We know that there are nearly 600 rural community health centers with roughly 5,000 sites. Together, they serve more than 9 million patients or one in five rural residents. Rural health centers are part of a broader rural healthcare ecosystem and are interconnected with rural hospitals. They're often located in close proximity to each other with both serving as key assets in their shared communities. Unfortunately, we have seen over 130 rural hospital closures in the last decade. And these closures greatly impact not only the residents' access to healthcare, but it also leads to significant job loss both at the hospital and throughout the community as the negative economic effects ripple through the economy. And we also know that this past year has been incredibly difficult for our broader healthcare system. And that has been true for health centers in rural and frontier areas. According to a recent analysis by Capital Link, Rural federally qualified health centers have experienced a 25% decline in patient visits for much of 2020 as patients complied with stay-at-home orders. They, the health centers quickly pivoted to providing care virtually with over a quarter of the visits delivered via telehealth. However, the loss in patient visits severely impacted health centers' revenue, jeopardizing their financial viability even as they continued to play a critical role in the pandemic fight. After taking into account federal refunding, rural health centers experienced net losses of over $1 billion. Recent federal funding will greatly assist these health centers for their costs and prepare them to continue their response to the pandemic. However, as the great country music singer and native of rural Appalachia, Dolly Parton said, if you don't like the road you're walking, you start paving a new one. And that is exactly what rural community health centers have done for years. Their ingenuity and inventiveness have led to new approaches to delivering care. They've been doing incredible work to test and vaccinate their patients during this pandemic. Just in a one-week period earlier this month, rural health centers tested 32,000 patients, initiated 117,000 vaccines, and completed 57,000 vaccines. And just a few days ago, the Washington Post featured the hard work of staff from Cahaba Medical Care, a health center in Alabama, as they were vaccinating their patients. The story details the extraordinary effort to scale up a vaccine program with little time to plan. Patient after patient says, it, that is highlighted in the article, say how they tried to find vaccine everywhere and couldn't find it until they came to Cahaba. The Cahaba staff are shown to go above and beyond to help, despite the mental toll that a year of a pandemic has done to them. But at the end of the day, despite the challenges of vaccine shortages, spotty internet, staff fatigue, and long drives, Cahaba is getting the job done for small towns in Alabama, like Uniontown and Marion. We know that this story could be written about so many different health centers from across the country who are stepping up to care for their patients and meeting this enormous challenge because we've heard of these innovative approaches and stories from across the country. And so with that in mind, we're gonna hear from two members of Congress today and their local health center leaders from their states. But first, let me introduce Dila Davis, NAC's Deputy Director for Federal Affairs, who is going to be moderating the discussion. Dila joined NAC recently after serving as the Director of Government Affairs at Access Community Health Network, a health center in Chicago. Dila, take it away. Thank you, Joe. And it is my honor and pleasure to uh, introduce Congressman Tony Gonzalez. Congressman Gonzalez is a 20-year veteran of the United States Navy who rose to the highest rank of Master Chief Petty Officer. 
And during his time of service, he was deployed multiple times in support of combat operations in Iraq and Afghanistan, as well as in support of regional security operations throughout Asia. Congressman Gonzalez has served as a de Department of Defense Legislative Fellow in U.S. Senator Marco Rubio's office and has been stationed across numerous naval, naval installations in Hawaii and Florida. Congressman Gonzalez received a master's in international relations from the American Public University, a graduate certificate in legislative studies from Georgetown University, and is a PhD candidate in international development, all while being a congressman. And he's also active member in his community, Congressman Gonzalez founded the Tony Gonzalez Foundation, a nonprofit focused on empowering and encouraging growth and development in impoverished areas in San Antonio. And Congressman Gonzalez is no stranger to the struggles young people face, and that is why he and his wife, Angel, serve as CASA volunteers in addition to raising their own six children. Bravo to you. <laughs> and on January 23rd, 2020, Congressman Gonzalez was sworn in as the eighth member to ever serve the 23rd District of Texas. The 23rd District is larger than 30 states, covers more than 800 miles of border, has two time zones. Which time zone are you in? And is the Southern a border district held by a Republican, the only Southern border district held by a Republican. And Congressman Gonzalez, he serves on the Appropriation Committee, sits on the Military Construction and Veteran Affairs Subcommittee, and the Transportation and Housing and Urban Development Subcommittee within the Appropriations Committee, and was chosen to serve as Assistant Whip to Republican Whip Steve Scalise. Welcome, Congressman Gonzalez. And if I may, let me also uh, introduce Monica Gonzalez. And Monica has been a community organizer and advocate for over 30 years, both in her career and volunteer pursuits. She has received her master's and bachelor's degrees from Seoul Ross State University in Alpine, Texas. Ms. Gonzalez sought a career supporting members of the community to help them access available benefits, job placement services, and paths forward. She has carried this into her volunteering through regional healthcare and social service coalitions, the Chamber of Commerce, Salvation Army, and most importantly, as a patient consumer board member for the Community Health Development Inc. in FQHC, serving Uvalde, Real, Edwards, and Zavala County in Texas. Since 1998, Ms. Gonzalez has been a member of CHDI's Board of Directors and has served as board chair since 2017. So welcome, Ms. Gonzalez. So thank again, you. Thank, thank you, thank you. So thank you both for joining us today. Congressman Gonzalez, thank you again. And I just wanna throw out a question for you. Rural America, like your district, is not homogenous. There is rich diversity across race, ethnicity, religion, education, 
socioeconomic status, and political beliefs. Health centers see this diversity every day in their patients. But there is a general perception or the media may not necessarily tell this full story. So in your own words, how would you describe the diversity across the rural areas of your district? And why is access to healthcare important? Why do you feel health centers are well positioned to respond to the needs of these diverse populations? Great, thank you. Yeah, thank you for uh, thank you for the question. Thank you for the intro. You know, uh, Congressman Henry Bonilla is a is a good friend of mine, and he he warned me that y'all are a, a crazy bunch. So uh, I look forward uh, to our time uh, here today. Look, I, I spent I, I'm in San Antonio. You mentioned two time zones. I woke up in El Paso, and and now I'm here in San Antonio. So I have a district that uh, that you're always on the run, always on the go. <laughs> And, uh, you know, I grew up in San Antonio, partly, and I also grew up in a small town, uh, Camp Wood, just past uh, Uvalde there, 500 people in this town. And to me, you know, access to healthcare is critical. It's critical, uh, you know, it's uh, across demographics. Uh, you know, my district has both urban areas and rural areas. And I think it's important that, uh, you know, that I think the, the role that community health clinics provide is critical in that ecosystem. And I always talk about the healthcare ecosystem. What I try not to do is, is, is choose, pick and, pick and choose winners. I think we, we can all be winners in that space. And I think there's a role for all these various different types of healthcare uh, initiatives and, and community health clinics certainly are one of those. Uh, yesterday I was in El Paso and I actually visited uh, Juarez as well on the Mexico side. And I just mentioned that to go, you know, you have different types of clients that are gaining access to these healthcare uh, facilities, and they're all important, and they all are critical to to the uh, to that ecosystem, if you will. And you know, my district, 820 miles of Texas and Mexico border, it's often referred to as uh, the frontera, right, the frontier of things. And and these and our community health clinics provide a critical role in in allowing some of these rural uh, help uh, these rural communities to have the resources they need. And not only just patchwork, but state of the art, you know, quality healthcare. And it's just so critical. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to support y'all in any form or fashion that I can. Thank you, Congressman, for your response. Um, we are just so glad again to be here. We are an excited bunch and we like to get the work done. And so I just want to invite Ms. Gonzalez. I know you would like to introduce your health center and to our audience and have some questions for the Congressman. So please go ahead. Thank you, Dila. As you mentioned, CHDI's main office is in Obante, halfway between San Antonio and the Mexican border. We have five cities caring for, uh, we have five sites caring for two rural counties and two frontier counties. CHDI is a healthcare home for almost 11,000 patients, approximately a third of the entire service area population. Of course, 2020 was a very challenging year to say the least. Let me just mention a few of our experiences. We implemented telemedicine in literally three days, updated all infection proto uh, control protocols and implemented electrostatic disinfecting facilities. We modified the facilities and appointment scheduling for patient and staff safety. 
initiated drive-up services for patients with COVID-like symptoms, and curbside pickup pharmacy refills. COVID, COVID testing has been provided, and now we offer COVID molecular testing in-house as well as COVID vaccines. Broadband connectivity was upgraded at an astronomical cost, yet speed is still limited. We retained our staff despite a significant reduction in program income. Telemedicine appointments continue, but an upgrade in equipment and broadband capacity, along with an appropriate level of reimbursement, is necessary. And we deeply and we are deeply concerned about our staff's well-being, emotionally, physically, mentally, especially the front line. So Congressman Gonzalez. Thank you for being with us today and for your support of America's health centers. As you travel the district, what effects have you seen COVID have in our rural areas? Yeah, the one thing that uh, Rachel uh, failed to mention is we also had a storm, a winter storm here in Texas that crippled uh, communities all across the board, you know, uh, electricity and water, uh, in many places were out for upwards of a week. And that was, the, that was the, the difficult part of it. The wonderful part of it was the community coming together and solving problems. And the community health clinic there in Uvalde was at the heart of that. I think that's a story that, that should be told as well. It just highlights the fact that while we can have many differences, you know, across demographics or politically or whatever it may be, when when uh, you know when a crisis hits, we come together, and uh, that's exciting. Uh, you know, one of the things that I think is important. You know, you mentioned rural broadband. Uh, that's that's an issue uh, that we're working on that we will continue to work on because oftentimes, uh, at, in, in this pandemic, you've seen telemedicine really take hold and show uh, the power of technology, uh, and which is great, which is fantastic. But in many parts of my district, access to broadband is still an issue. Uh, you know, that, that impacts healthcare, certainly, but it impacts everything, education, economic development, uh, and the list goes on and on. So I think it's critical that we invest in these rural areas. Broad, rural broadband is certainly at the forefront of that. There's been a lot of misinformation about COVID vaccines. Some people in communities like mine are hesitant to get the vaccine for various reasons, and there are unique challenges to building trust in the vaccine. What are some of the ways you've seen this happening, and how are health centers essential to help building that trust? Yeah, uh, my district, very diverse, right? It goes from San Antonio to El Paso, and, uh, and the pandemic has is, is impacted the district in different ways. You know, uh, here in the city, in the city areas, it was impacted quite a bit, and and folks were very hesitant to to uh, to go out, and 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 they were just they were just much more cautious on things. Now, out in the rural areas, specifically out in West Texas, I mean, it was socially unacceptable to wear a mask. I mean, it just it just was, and and a lot of that too was the number of transmissions were much lower. It was just it was just a different environment, and that's tough for people to realize. If you lived in the city, you're like, oh my goodness, how can you, uh, you know, how, how can you not have this, this, you know, these strict pr protocols? But if you lived out in the rural areas, you're like, well, why would you, why do you have these strict protocols? So I think it's important, one, for us to be respectful of one another. I think we need to get back to that. What I've pushed and what I will continue to push 
is the way we, we get past this pandemic is uh, distributing the vaccine far and wide to not just the populated areas, but to the rural areas as well. And we encourage people to get the vaccine. Uh, we've done that. We'll continue to do that over and over again. You know, there's been a lot of partners in this that I think have been helpful in that. You know, the, I'm, I'm a veteran. I served 20 years in the military. And oftentimes the, the VA gets beat up quite a bit, and rightfully so. Uh, but the VA did a really good job during this rollout of helping with that. And I think the community health clinics have added to that as well. And it's about access, right? It's about access to the vaccine. Not everybody, you know, their healthcare provider, they view it differently. You know, it's not always the primary care physician that they see as their healthcare provider. It could be, you know, let's say if you're on dialysis or, you know, if you get your, you spend the bulk of your time going to a clinic, then that's where you think your healthcare provider is. So what we've tried to do is, hey, let's distribute this, let's distribute the vaccine out to all parts of it, not just the large concentrated areas. Uh, we'll continue to do that, but advocacy for the vaccine is I think how we, uh, we get, we uh, defeat this pandemic and we, we get back to some sense of normalcy. Thank you, Congressman. You know firsthand the challenges we face living in small rural communities, including healthcare, education, transportation, infrastructure. So many barriers and not enough resources. You ran for Congress to improve the lives for the people in your district. How can health centers help with those goals and any final thoughts you'd like to share? Yeah, look, in, in politics, you, you, know, you get pulled in all these different directions. And, um, you know, I, I don't view the world that way. I spent my time in the military focused on, um, on a mission and working with others to accomplish that mission. You know, I didn't ask the person next to me, are you a Democrat or you a Republican? You know, what, what church do you go to? Who do you go to bed with? None of that was important. What was important was, are you going to help me accomplish this mission? And in politics, it's much different. I mean, it's very partisan. And it's, um, it's honestly one of the things that's been difficult for me to, uh, to get accustomed to, I think one of the ways that we come together on things is, uh, is we just, we focus on what is important. And our family, I think is key. Uh, education, I think is key. Healthcare, I think is key. You know, maybe we might have different ways on how we get there, but we gotta, we gotta talk about those areas and we gotta dedicate the resources to it. You know, mental health, uh, preventive maintenance, telemedicine, all these things, I think are critical to communities in general. And the only way we can do that is if kind of um, ease up on the partisanship and focus more on solutions. Uh, that's how I view the world. And I encourage my colleagues to do the same. Gracias, Congressman Gonzalez. We look forward to working with you. Dila, we'll turn it back to you. Thank you. Thank you, Congressman Gonzalez. We so appreciate you being here. I'm, I'm so glad I had the pleasure of meeting you uh, not too long ago and just hearing your story and just hearing about your vision. And just quickly, do you just want to share um, just your vision that you have uh, for your district and what you see uh, going forward? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I believe in uh, partnerships. I believe in working with people to get things done. I also... Am, am not afraid to, to, uh, to go to places that I think need to be highlighted. I mean, it's the reason why we went to Juarez. 
it's a different situation with the migrant situation, but I think it's important for us to talk about the things that maybe aren't comfortable. And, and part of that is, is, you know, healthcare, it's a difficult topic um, because it, it's one, there's a lot of challenges, but two, it requires a lot of resources to address those challenges. So part of, part of what I've tried to do in my, in my time in Congress and what I will continue to do is just be a, a pragmatic, level-headed legislator that looks for ways to work with people to solve real problems that impact everyday Americans. And that's not always gonna make the headlines, but one of the direct ways is going out, finding grants, finding federal uh, opportunities and bringing those directly back to my district and my state. Thank you so much. And thank you again for sharing your time. Uh, we wish you well in both of those time zones. So thank you. <laughs> Great, thank you everybody. Y'all have a wonderful okay. day. Thanks, you too. Bye. Now, everyone, we are going to take a trip across the country and let's move to the Northeast and to Vermont area to speak with Congressman Welch from Vermont and Michael Costa, the CEO of Northern Counties Healthcare. Gentlemen, welcome. Good to be here. I'm so glad you're here. So let me just read your bios first. Congressman Welch has represented uh, Vermonters in Congress since 2007. And in an era of partisanship and division, he is widely recognized as a skillful legislator who chooses governing over gridlock. He was born in Springfield, Massachusetts and graduated from the College of the Holy Cross. And as a member of the first class of Robert F. Kennedy Fellows, he fought housing discrimination in Chicago after college. I'm from Chicago. <laughs> and went on to earn a law degree from the University of California, Berkeley. After law school, he settled in Vermont's Upper Valley where he founded a small law practice. Congressman Welch was elected to the Vermont Senate in 1980 and later was selected to lead the chamber, becoming the first Democrat in Vermont's history to serve as president, Senate President Pro Tem. In Congress, Representative Welch is focused on delivering immediate aid to Vermont individuals, small businesses, and community anchor institutions hurt by the coronavirus pandemic. The Congressman is also a leading advocate for energy efficiency, cutting the price of prescription drugs, investing in infrastructure, and expanding broadband and telemedicine in rural America. He serves as a chief deputy whip for the House Democratic Caucus and is a senior member of the Influential Energy and Commerce Committee. He is also a member of the House Intelligence Committee and the Oversight and Reform Committee. Thank you again, Congressman. And then finally, Michael Costa serves as the CEO of Northern Counties Healthcare, which encompasses five community health centers, three dental centers, and a Medicare certified home health and hospice agency in Northeast Kingdom, of Vermont. Prior to leading Northern Counties, Michael devoted nearly 20 years to public service in states around the country. In Vermont, Michael served in both Democratic and Republican administrations, where he helped design Vermont's first 
in the nation all payer accountable care organization model agreement with CMS and Vermont's efforts to establish a universal health care program. Also, Michael has served as the deputy commissioner of the state Medicaid agency, responsible for financial operations, managed care operations, the state's federal waiver and payment and delivery system reform efforts. Michael holds a bachelor's degree from Bates College, a law degree from the University of Wisconsin, and a master's degree in healthcare delivery science from Dartmouth. So gentlemen, thank you both for uh, joining us. And Michael, I will turn this conversation over to you. Thank you so much. And thank you, Congressman, for joining us today. Um, <laughs> we'll talk a little bit about our COVID experience here in Vermont. You know, as an FQHC, we decided on day one of this crisis that though COVID may change many things, it's not going to change our values. We're going to continue to do what FQHCs have done for decades, which is to continue <clears throat> promoting health in our communities. We immediately opened respiratory care clinics to keep seeing patients with chronic conditions who needed to be seen in person. We set up a telehealth service line for people who did not want to visit us in person. Uh, we created our own sewing factory to create PPE for our organization. Um, we, our staff volunteered at local hospitals and nursing homes. And we were the first FQHC in Vermont to offer testing and eventually vaccines. We also partnered with local arts organizations to create art-based interventions to combat social isolation so people wouldn't feel alone during COVID. Now, we can only do what we do because leaders nationally and locally have our back. And Vermont's health centers have no better friends than our congressional delegation, particularly Congressman Welch. So thank you very much for being with us today. And I wanna ask you a similar question uh, that we started off with Congressman Gonzalez. Um, but for our audience, when we use the term district in Vermont, we're talking about the whole state. And as our lone representative in the House, how have you seen COVID impact rural areas and talk about the diversity of response across our state? Well, um, it's affected. We're, we're the biggest rural state um, and it has, been a huge challenge. Now, by the way, I just want to preface my remarks by saying I listened to uh, Representative Gonzalez. So everything he said, I agree with, right? So you've already heard. He spoke about the really great work you do about the importance of working together, importance of the community health centers. Uh, and I love to hear that in his huge rural district in Texas. And uh, it's the same thing. Uh, Michael and Higgs around the state are just doing an incredibly great job. And the part that I think is so unique about the community health centers is they're really on the ground. They're really in the community. I mean, so when Michael talks about uh, getting people to knit masks, it is the capacity of a local organization to see what needs to be done, figure out how to do it. And they can only do that when they've got strong support in the local communities. And uh, God bless you, Michael. I mean, that's an incredible story, but you know, a big institution, and that's how much of our healthcare is centered around now. These huge institutional players uh, don't have that kind of visibility into the reality of communities where uh, in Vermont, we've got to make certain that the person who uh, lives on a farm out in a long dirt road that you can't get there from here gets that vaccine. 
And one of the things about community health centers is that the whole point of community health centers is to provide local primary care to people in ways that make it easy for them to get the care they need, okay? So you basically have a delivery system that is set up to meet the existing needs and circumstances of Vermonters, rural Vermonters, as opposed to having rural Vermonters have to accommodate themselves uh, to the demands of large institutional uh, providers, uh, which they can't do and is very, very expensive. So on COVID, you know, among other things, uh, Michael, you know about this up here. One of our community health centers started mobile, uh, mobile testing. You know, if people can't come to the test, we'll go to the people. And I mean, isn't that just like a practical thing to do? But if you're in a small local organization and people are coming in saying, hey, you know, Mildred can't get here. Well, we can go to Mildred. You actually have that discussion. That's the kind of thing Michael and his board talks about all the time. Another thing they did, in, you know, we're, we're a largely white state, but we've got a diverse community and the impact on uh, our player here is much greater in Vermont, just like it is everywhere else. And there's a lot of reasons for that, but one of them are language barriers. We have a lot of new American community. Well, <clears throat> we have uh, up here in Chittenden County, uh, they established our community health center. Uh, 12 different languages to provide information to people. So they had some real information upon which uh, to get comfortable taking the, the vaccine. So, you know, Michael, Michael's up in the Northeast Kingdom and that's, that's real, really rural, it's poor, it's proud, and it's really hardworking people. Um, and they don't need to be told what to do. Yet on the other hand, they really care about good health and quality, and they are really well treated. They're well respected for who they are and what they know, and their own wisdom and and, and sense of integrity and decency. So you know, a major reason I'm so excited about the community health centers is that it's on the ground, primary care, neighbor to neighbor. And the people who work in our community health centers are dedicated to that kind of service. That's the model they want. You know, uh, they don't want to be at the big at big institution. And I'm not criticizing them now, but I'm saying that this model of primary care by local folks who are really integrated in the community is really, really uh, important. And that's why it was so refreshing and wonderful for me to listen to Congressman Gonzalez, who's got a huge district, totally different than Vermont but not totally different, rather totally the same when it comes to folks needing good quality healthcare that our community health centers provide. Thank you. And, and you talked a lot, Congressman, about this issue of trust and how in a small state like in Vermont, trust in your neighbors is essential because almost everybody is your neighbor and health centers as a key component of building that trust. And so what have you seen statewide among health centers to help build that trust in neighbors regarding vaccines? given the importance of um, implementing the vaccine right now? Well, you know, Michael, that's really, really a good point because most of us are really affected by what our friends and neighbors are doing. And if everybody is recoiling from a vaccine, let's say, then we're gonna be a little nervous because obviously we all ultimately have to be trusting. We're not all scientists, we're not all epidemiologists. And of course the community health center is a place where people um, of various backgrounds and various points of view go for their common need for health. 
so you're in the community health center. You see a neighbor there, or you're in your community and you're talking about where do you get your health care and it's the community health center. So it becomes, you know, a, sort of above politics, you know, and it's even above sports, you know what I mean? Because <laughs> everybody argues fiercely about March Madness or whatever the team, whatever this, the, uh, uh, whatever the, the contest is. And if that's all you did, you're going to be uh, fierce enemies. But in these communities, especially in these the, the times are polarized politically, um, the, the community health center is a safe space uh, where people can go bring their children and feel confidence that they're gonna be treated with respect and get the healthcare they need. So where you have that credibility in that local institution, and that local institution is uh, offering the vaccine and, and saying very forthrightly that this vaccine can save your life, uh, that's a big boost in trust. Uh, and we're seeing, you know, vaccine, there was a lot of vaccine resistance in the beginning. It's coming down, down, down as more and more people are doing it. But the safer the space, uh, it, it, the better. And, you know, going in, I'm seeing that I trust that she tells me, hey, this is good. And then I'm, you know, roll up my sleeve. Time to roll up my sleeve. Thank you, Congressman. In our final moments, you came to Congress to improve the lives of Vermonters. How can community health centers help you with those goals? And what other final thoughts would you like to share with our audience today? Well, you're kind to ask what you can do since what you're doing is far more than what I'm doing, okay? You're doing on the ground, the real hard uh, juggling of competing uh, needs and priorities, uh, limitation of time, space, personnel, resources. You know, my job in many ways is it's, it's to try to get the resources back to the committees uh, in order for them to do their job. And it, it's really contentious in Washington. We did have January 6th, so uh, that's its own topic. But the job we have really is to help Vermonters help Vermonters. And then when we get money back, like we, you know, we've gotten several millions of dollars back to the community health centers to keep you guys going. The, the practical challenges of getting the personnel, of having them trained, of setting up the intake systems, of having the protocols in place to schedule an appointment, to have that person I get the shot in the arm to have that follow-up appointment. That is constant day in and day out care and attention. And I'm saluting you, the community health centers, because that's the job that you're doing. So my job is sort of done when we vote on our legislation and the money comes back and it gives you a shot at then being able to undertake that very, very demanding attention-focused uh, day in and day out consistency that's required to build that trust that we were talking about a little while ago. So you're kind of asked me what you can do to help, but you're doing more than uh, can reasonably be expected. And I really appreciate our community, your community health center in particular. I know the Northeast Kingdom, you know, uh, you'd love to come up here and, you know, um, Mr. Gunn, Gonzalez thinks he's got a cool district in uh, that uh, uh, South Texas, but it ain't nothing compared to the Northeast Kingdom, I'm telling you. I'm coming, I'm coming. <laughs> Anything else, Michael? Thank you. 
Thank you, Congressman. And I just want to say on behalf of all community health centers from sea to shining sea and our partners in Alaska and Hawaii, thank you. Thank you so much for all you do. And, and thank you for the investments that you have made, yeah. you and your colleagues uh, thank you. in the past budget bill. So thank you again. Thank you. Bye -bye. All right, and Mr. Costa, thank you for um, for hosting. We really appreciate you asking those questions. And so now I would like to turn everything back to Joe Dunn, Senior VP of Public Policy and Research at NAC. Joe? Well, thank you, Dila and Congressman Gonzalez and Congressman Welch, Monica, Michael, and my colleague Emily for participating in today's event. Uh, really enjoyed the discussion, uh, that we, the back and forth uh, that we had today. So as you may know, NAC is celebrating our 50th anniversary this year, and these monthly fireside chats offer an opportunity to highlight the impact of community health centers and the impact they are making every day across America, especially in the time when we're still fighting the COVID-19 pandemic. And we're honored to represent the voices of the 30 million patients, 14,000 nonprofit community health center sites, 253,000 staff and 12,000 community consumer board members. And like I said earlier, very importantly, one in every five residents of rural America. So before signing off, I wanted to highlight a few other upcoming events that may be of interest to you. First is a question and, question and answer session from HRSA regarding the recent $6.1 billion in the American Rescue Fund uh, or American Rescue Plan funding to health centers. That event will be on Thursday, April 8th at 1 to 2 p.m. And the phone and login information was just posted uh, in the chat. So please, uh, if you have any questions around that funding, that would be a good opportunity for you to, to listen into that. Second is a roundtable session on the Health Center COVID-19 vaccine program sponsored by several national training and technical assistance partners. This is a bi-weekly forum for information exchange on Health Center COVID-19 vaccine program and includes updates from the Bureau from Sumanair and is intended really for Health Center clinical leaders, the C-suite, administrators, providers, and other staff. The next one of these sessions is April 9th and another one on April 23rd from 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern. And lastly, the next webinar in this NAC series is going to be next month on April 27th at 2 p.m. Please look for information regarding the program and registration. 